Please turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2, our text will be verses 9 to 20. So we've been going through these these books of the post-exilic period. Ezra, Haggai, Zechariah, now Nehemiah. We are seeing a lot of the things of what took place after the Jews had returned back home from captivity, the struggles that they endured, but the great leaders that God had raised up specifically to help lead His people, to stir them, to stir within their hearts their devotion once again to the Lord their God. Nehemiah is indeed one of those men. Ezra had served his purpose at one time. Haggai did. Zechariah did. Nehemiah is now here. Now, Nehemiah is a contemporary of Ezra. Ezra seemed to have started off very strong when, once he had gotten to Jerusalem. And as we had talked about a number of times, there's about 13, 14 years that have, that have passed from the end of Ezra until what we get to Nehemiah. We, I don't know about you, but I often wonder what things had taken place during those 13 to 14 years that things are the way that they are when Nehemiah gets there. There's going to be some, some situations that are very similar to what had previously happened as we work our way through Nehemiah. But it's, it's, it's a great lesson to reflect upon, just generally speaking, of how needful it is for the people of God to keep focused. Because it is so easy to forget. It's so easy to, to just veer off the path, if you will. What we have in our chapter this evening is the Lord stirring within Nehemiah this desire. He begins to implement that desire. He, he encourages others with what God is doing. There's opposition here, and yet there's perseverance here as well. These things that we read of in this passage are things that we encounter in our own Christian life, things that we can take from here that we need to understand are the same throughout all of, of the history of God's people. It's the same things that each of us have to do. We look at, and this is one of the great difficulties uh, that, we, that we run into is is really removing ourselves from being used by God in such a way as some of the folks that we read of within Scripture. We look at the Ezra's, we look at the Nehemiah's, and we say, they did some amazing things. They did some great things. They weren't, uh, <clears throat> they weren't you know, uh, hindered by what they set their minds to do. And the main reason because, well, the main reason of that was because it was the Lord working through them. They were just mere men. They're just mere people. They're regular people. In one sense, you could say that they're really nothing special here. But one of the common denominators that you find among the faithful ones like Nehemiah, Ezra, is indeed their great commitment to the glory of God. Their great commitment to to the glory of 
their Redeemer. And so the Lord uses faithful people. The Lord uses committed people. It may be on a smaller scale. It may be on a larger scale. But whether it's a small feat or it's a, it's a, it's a grand one, it doesn't determine whether or not you know, you're even more special or less special than someone else. The Lord has something for each one of us to do while we are here uh, before He calls us home. And what you do here indeed matters greatly within the grand scheme of God's plan because He has saved you, He has gifted you, and what He has gifted you with is for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. It is for the purpose of honoring Him and it is not insignificant. You need to understand that. You need to recognize that. We say to ourselves, well, we don't do we don't do what maybe this person does over here. We don't do this over here. What you do is as long as you're doing it for the glory of God is very important to the overall body of Christ because ministry is not a one-man show. Ministry is never a one-man show. People may perceive it to be that way. People may perceive their self to be that way. I know a number of ones that come to mind that really do think that they're a one-man show. That anything that occurs is because of them. Any, any major thing that occurs is because of them. If they can, if they can preach if they can sing, if they can serve in certain ways or whatever, it all comes back to them. They can do it all. That's not how ministry is supposed to be. Again, when you look at how things are done within the Scripture, it's always an effort of a collected group of people. Somebody might be the leader, quote-unquote. Somebody might be the spokesman or whatever, but it is... It is a community thing uh, ministry is. If it weren't for any of you being here, who would I be talking to? If it weren't for the body of Christ recognizing a gift that was in me, who would I be talking to? If it weren't for those to support and to pray and to encourage and to, to lend help and, and, and to be willing to help in a number of other things. We would all be here by ourselves. Ministry is, is a group effort. And that's what we find here. The Lord may begin something with a desire in one person, but then it spreads out to everyone else. Usually the initial beginnings of implementing ministries or implementing any kind of works... It starts with a desire, an idea. You, you, you meditate on it, you reflect upon it, you seek out others, you tell them what's going on, uh, you, you, you share your heart with them, you explain perhaps your ideas and, and how you would like to implement it, the benefit of it, the, and how it would glorify the Lord or whatever. People get excited, people, you know, they, they want to be part of it. And you need people to do that because nobody can do everything. There has to be delegation. There has to be delegating the work, assigning tasks in order to make everything move forward. And that's exactly what you find here in this passage. 
Nehemiah could not have done any of this if it was by himself. Couldn't have. Our church cannot function and move forward with one person. Not, not one, not two people. It takes a collected group of all believers who desire the glory of God, who edify the body of Christ, who use all their gifts in order to move the church forward, to build it up, and to, for all of us to grow in sanctification. It takes, it takes everyone. You know, I can't remember who it was that had said it um, when we had first started the church and we were trying to move forward and all of that. Somebody had said or had made the statement that a church is only as strong, a church is only as strong as its people, because it's a group, it's a group effort. It's a it's a collection of people that further a ministry or that further the church. That's why it's necessary that we're all learning together. We're all growing together. We're all you know, having the same desires. We're like-minded people. Again, never, never is it just because of one person or two people or whatever. To be part of the local body of Christ is indeed to be a member of it. Whether you're a hand, or whether you're a foot, whether you're an eye, whatever capacity that you serve is absolutely necessary for the health of a church. So within our passage, we see a lot of these truths being brought out for us and some great lessons here. And, and I hope that it would indeed encourage us and, and strengthen us to, to understand that that your participation in the body of Christ, your participation in the local church is, is vital for the health of the church and for the furthering of uh, the ministry of the church. So let's look at this passage. Nehemiah chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 9 and read through verse 20. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. The inspired and errant authoritative word of God says, Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my hand to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and on to the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates, which were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate in the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. Then I said to them, 
you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words, which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. But when Sambalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we again come before your throne of grace and we ask that the Spirit of God would move mightily within us to bring out the reality of this passage, that it would adhere to our hearts, that he would stir within us such a desire to honor you in the way in which you have gifted us, that we would seek to, to edify the, the body of Christ that, that we would all uh, benefit one another as a collected body. We pray that, uh, that you would open our eyes even more to the glory and the majesty of who you are. Let us be encouraged. Let us be strengthened. Let us be committed to, to follow uh, in paths of righteousness for your namesake and to put into practice what the calling of God has made us before you. We love you. We thank you for all things in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So Nehemiah, he gets to Jerusalem. And very similar <clears throat> as it was with Ezra. Nehemiah gets there. And we read that when he gets there, He's coming into these provinces beyond the river. He's, he's giving the king's letters to, to the governor of Samaria, perhaps uh, one of the, the chiefs of Edumia. Uh, he's giving it to Tobiah the Ammonite. And these are specific things that he had requested of the king, that as he came into these areas that he would be able to show them papers that he has been authorized by the king in order to come into these areas and seek the welfare of Jerusalem. But of course, as he does, and he shows them his papers and all of that, it's very displeasing to them. They are the enemies of Israel. And especially if you go back and you just begin to think, when, <clears throat> when Ezra had recorded for us that, that first group of people that had come back, from Jer or back to Jerusalem, that when they began to rebuild the temple and they were doing this work in Jerusalem, that they were approached by the Sumerians. Let us help. We serve your God too. And what was it that the children of Israel told them? You have no part with us. And they had, and we had talked about it then, and it st still holds true even to, of course, the time of Nehemiah, that you had what was called syncretism, that they had taken the religion of Israel plus the pagan religions, and they had intermingled the two. They were not truly serving God <clears throat> in the way that God had prescribed. They had not understood who God was 
in the way that God has revealed himself. And Jesus even makes that clear even to the Samaritan woman at the well in the New Testament. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is of the Jews. So when they first came in, they had said this to the Samaritans. They had already began as enemies. And that has still continued even to this particular time. They are, they are enemies of Israel. They're surrounded on all sides by their enemies. And it is very displeasing that anyone is coming to seek their welfare. They don't want them to prosper. They don't want them to, to flourish. These are their enemies. These are the ones that had rejected their help and <clears throat> when they had first come back. Perhaps these people even thought that they had a, a monopoly on the land since they had been there for some years before the children of Israel came back. A lot of friction here. A lot of bitterness. So he comes to Jerusalem. Even through all that. He comes to Jerusalem. And he stays there for three days before he does anything. He is beginning his preparation stuff. His preparation time. He's resting. And we sometimes think to ourselves, well, I don't have time to rest and whatever. But just as a footnote there, it is vital part of, of ministry as well, is that you rest. You can think more clearly. You can analyze everything more clearly. If you're just go, 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 sometimes you may make rash decisions that you will come to regret later. You need to take your rest, especially knowing that from the time that he was in Babylon, God had put something into his heart to do. And so when he finally gets there, he's going to take some time preparing himself. And that preparation, of course, is uh, we can absolutely assume that he, is, that he is praying, he is meditating, he is seeking God throughout them three days of, of his taking rest before he does anything. And that's what is needed. In order to evaluate something or to even evaluate the, the desires that you have once you get an opportunity to, to share them or to, to implement them, was it something that was momentary to you or is it something that has truly burdened your heart that you still continue uh, to want to do? You know, when you think of desires, we have desires all the time. Some are just very momentary. Well, that would be a great idea. Man, I would love to do that. And then a few minutes later, uh, it's gone. Or a couple of days later, it's gone. You moved on to something else. When you have a desire that is, that is put into your heart, it is necessary to take some time just to stop and to, to evaluate everything, to look at the desires that you have and to ask a few questions. One, does it truly burden your heart that it is continually on your mind to do? Is it something that is going to glorify our Lord above all things? Any desires that we do or desires of things that we would like to do one of the main things that we always have to ask ourselves is, is it going to honor the Lord? Is it going to glorify Him? Is it going to magnify Him? Or is it going to magnify me? And again, is this just momentary? Is the Lord opening doors? Uh, that that this, this is something that can happen? And make no mistake, the Lord puts desires in our hearts. He puts desires in our hearts to serve Him in, in certain capacities. And the way that we can truly verify 
uh, whether or not, you know, that is this something of ourselves or this, is this something of the Lord, especially when it comes to, to you know, serving the church in, in a variety of ways. You really got two, two categories here of, serve, uh, of gifts of the Spirit of God, serving gifts and speaking gifts. And so whatever gift it is that you have been given by the Lord in order to, to benefit the body of Christ, Many times, and it should be this way, that the church is going to verify this gift in you. You don't just come and say, well, I think uh, I'm going to be this in the church. We just need to make preparations for me to, to be this or to do this. I had one guy come to me two, three years after we had started uh, the church. We were moving along there. I had a guy come up to me after the service and said, "You know, I've been praying, and I, I think that, uh, I think that I, I should be the assistant pastor." And you think, okay, one, um, the congregation is never going to accept you as such, because this is indeed a gift of God uh, to to have a desire to do that. You've never exercised that gift. You've never had opportunities in order to teach anybody or to preach to anybody or nothing like that. Uh, the congregation is who recognizes these gifts in you. You don't just decide one day, this is what I think I need to do. So you need to, you need to help me to do it. That's not how it works. If it begins with a desire, and by the way, that particular desire of that particular one went away very quickly. That's what I mean. You have to reflect and you have to analyze and evaluate whether or not your desire is momentary or it's something that is long-lasting that God is truly calling you to do. And your gifts are verified, authenticated by the congregation to whom you are wanting to minister to. So are there... Are there Places that you can that you can serve and to implement the desires that you have. There should be a lot of preparation when it comes to whatever God is or you feel that God is calling you to. What desires that you have. It shouldn't just be that I have a desire. Let's do it. And if and if for any one of us here we can we can absolutely identify with this that if you've ever grown up in a specific denomination of church, anytime anyone ever said, I think the Lord's calling me to preach, what was the very thing that happened? Well, brother, you can preach next week. And there's, there's no preparation here. There's no reflection here. You start out with a desire, you share it, and all of a sudden you're just thrown right in there. That's not how it should be. There's preparation for yourself. There's examining yourself. Examining those desires. Are they momentary? Is God truly calling me to this? And if God is indeed calling you to a gift, especially a speaking gift, then there needs to be time on your part in order to study to show yourself approved. To rightly handle the Word of God. To take... Uh, opportunities in order to to yes 
try to teach others? Because the thing is, is that when you teach someone or, or when you, you have a speaking gift of, of whatever it is, you have to be able to take the Word of God and to break it down into a way that people can understand it and can understand what you're saying. If you don't know what you're saying, no one else is going to know what you're saying either. And all you're going to do is cause confusion. You don't take the gifts of God lightly that you just run headlong on your way. There's preparation time. There's reflection. There's examination. They're seeking God's face throughout it all. If this is not what I'm supposed to do, take the desire from me. If this is what I'm supposed to do, then you pray, O oh Lord, prepare me, help me, strengthen me, teach me. Give me the heart to do this. Preparation is needed because in whatever gift that you have, whether it's a serving gift or a speaking gift, you're going to have to use wisdom. You're going to have to have wisdom. Even if you're serving and you're not really teaching others in a group setting or whatever, when you serve others, you are still trying to encourage them with the Word of God or you're praying on their behalf. You still have to be studied. You still have to seek out knowledge of the Scriptures and use wisdom as you approach people or use wisdom as you approach a passage of Scripture. You have to use wisdom and planning. There's this time for Nehemiah. He stays there three days. He doesn't tell anybody anything yet. And as part of his preparation, not only is he taking time for himself to rest, to reflect, to pray, to seek God's face, we read that he, ar he arises in the night and he begins to examine the walls of Jerusalem. He goes by the valley gate. He goes on to the refuse gate. He is, he is going by the fountain gate down next to the king's pool. The king's pool would be the overflow pool of the, the pool of Salome that we've been reading of in the Gospel of John. He's going around it all. He's examining everything. Because if this is the desire that God has put in his heart, then he needs to know what all is involved here. A plan needs to be made. Is this, is this part of the wall here salvageable? Is this part of the wall need to be torn all the way down? Does it need to be built from the ground up? How is everything looking? The location of things that are in front of the wall. There's a lot of things here that he's investigating as part of that preparation time. So he's inspecting the walls. He's, he, <clears throat> he's going around the entirety of where the walls were. So, when you have a desire in your heart, investigation needs to take place. What all is involved in it? And it's interesting that you have one guy who has this desire who goes around the entirety of the walls of Jerusalem, he would have to understand very clearly, I cannot do this by myself, let alone can I even do this without the Lord. 
Many times the Lord calls His people to do things that are impossible without Him. And that's exactly what's happening here. You think of the entire city of Jerusalem. He's going from gate to gate to gate to, to signify that He's going around the whole thing to give location to the places that He's going. It would be impossible to, to do this without the help of the Lord. Whatever it is that you think that, that you've been called to do by the Lord, you have to understand, no matter how small, no matter how big, that it is impossible for you to do it without the Lord. Now, granted, you may be able to do it because you have a talent that you can there are many good speakers that are behind pulpits that shouldn't be there. There are many good speakers that can get a crowd excited, but they are doing nothing of any spiritual value to them. Why? Because unless the Lord is involved in it, you're accomplishing nothing. You cannot produce in other people a growth in Christ without the help of the Lord. You cannot produce in other people uh, the, the, a comfort or an encouragement or a, whatever it is that you're seeking to do for them, you're not going to accomplish anything for them. Whatever comforting words that you may have, it will accomplish nothing unless the Lord is involved in it. You can do nothing of any spiritual value, of any, of any ministry without the Lord. And that goes across the board. I would imagine that as Nehemiah is riding around the walls of Jerusalem, that perhaps he's reflecting upon that very truth. I can do nothing without the Lord. I can't do this without the Lord. Is the Lord going to, to show favor to me? He's given me this desire. Is He going to show favor to me in order to, to move this along? Well, indeed He does. Nehemiah has had favor with the king in order to get permission from the king to do all of this stuff that he's, that he's wanting to do. The king granted him everything that he asked. And now, the Lord is going to, to further that when Nehemiah calls the people to action. Now, the people would have thought, or could have thought, rather, this is, this is a terrible idea. We don't have time for this. We already built the temple. What else do we need? We don't need these walls. But what happens? When, when Nehemiah approaches them, and he's approaching everyone. He's appealing to everyone. He's appealing to the Jews, meaning the general people. He's appealing to the priests and the nobles, those that own land. He's appealing to the officials. He's appealing to everybody. This is the situation that we are in. Now, with any good leader, whenever you begin to implement an idea or to try to motivate others to do it, you assess the situation. This is why this would be a great, a great thing for this to occur. This is the situation that we are in. This is what is needed. God has given us this desire to do it, and this is how it's going to benefit everyone. This is how it will produce a growth in the people of God. 
This is how it's going to honor the Lord. He says to them, you see the bad situation that we're in. Jerusalem is desolate, its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. Look at the state of things. Look around, the walls torn down. It was destroyed because of our unfaithfulness. The Lord allowed these things to come in, these people to come in. They destroyed it. And it's still there. It's a constant reminder of our unfaithfulness to the Lord. It's a constant reminder of His judgment to us because of our unfaithfulness. But the Lord has been faithful. He's brought the people back. And this is the situation. Look at it. Enemies can come in. There's nothing to protect us. Let's build the walls back. And he begins to, to give this testimony of what God has done for him and the desires that God has put in his heart. Hey, I, he says, I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. This is, this is how we know that the Lord is in this. He put this, this, the, the desire in my heart in order to come here to seek the welfare of Jerusalem, in order to build back the walls. I even asked the king... I asked the king permission to do all this. And you know what the king said? The king said, I'll grant to you anything that you need. And that was a, a direct evidence and demonstration that God was in this. God moved the heart of a pagan king in order to grant it to his cupbearer, whatever it was that he needed for his homeland. He gives them this testimony. And testimonies are good. We don't want to disregard testimonies or what it is that <clears throat> what, what God is, has done in, in, uh, in the desires that he's given you or, or your, your, your passion for the Lord and all of that. I think testimonies can be a bad thing whenever we, des we were trying to outdo each other on how big of a sinner that I was compared to you or I was worse. Look how far the Lord had to bring me up compared to you. Testimonies can be a very bad thing when we start to do it that way but when the Lord has put something in your heart to share with another you know I was I was reading this the other night and 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 and, and you know the the Lord was doing this in the passage or blah 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 and it just moved my heart and just made me think of this and blah 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 whatever This is how the Lord comforted me in this passage, or this is how the Lord strengthened me as I, was, as I was going through this in my life. This was the constant reminder that I had. And the Lord was faithful to me. Testimonies can be a good thing. This is the desire that God has given me. This is my heart. This is where my heart is. The Lord has opened up doors for me to be able to do this. Let's do it together. And when you share your passion with others, especially like-minded people that are seeking the glory of God, if you are genuine in your desire to honor God by what you're doing, and it is confirmed by the others that are around you, then you, you have now a group of people that, are, that is zealous to do that very thing. Not for you to do it alone anymore but to be able to take part in what it is in order to benefit the entire church. Because when Nehemiah tells them of all that God has done, what do they say? 
They say, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. He appealed to them. He, he assessed the situation with them. Look at what, look at what the situation is. Look, look at the walls. They're still torn down. They've been burned by fire. Here's what the Lord has been doing. This, this, this great thing that God has put in my heart, that God has opened up doors for, for me to be here right now before you in order to express to you what he, is, what he has been doing. Let us no longer be a reproach, but let us, let us build back the walls of Jerusalem. Let us build back the walls of the city of God. And it stirred within the people. That was also a demonstration of, of the good hand of the Lord being with him. Is that the people could have went, this is a bad idea. Nope. But the fact of the people themselves being, yes, this is right. This is honoring to the Lord. That was a clear manifestation as well of the fact of God working in the hearts of the people also to, to stir this within them. It was grounded in truth. It was, it was for the glory of God. And God was working. It was evident God was working. Now, they put their hands to do the good work. But inevitably, what happens? One writer said this. Whenever the people of God do the work of God, it will always stir up the enemies of God. Now, why is that? If you're, if you're working and laboring for the glory of God, and you're working and you're laboring in order to further the kingdom of God, that means that you're trying to further the kingdom of God within the darkness. And inevitably, it's going to stir up the enemies of God. Now, can the enemies of God hinder the furthering of the kingdom? No, they cannot. Can they try? Yes, they can try. And we often see them trying. Of course, who is greater than the Lord if he sets his mind to do something? No enemy is, is, is greater than the Lord. None can thwart his hand as, as Nebuchadnezzar had confessed. They begin the work. This is, this, is a, uh, this is something that God has put now within all the people. Let us arise and build. Let's put our hands to the good work. The governor of, Sam of Samaria hears of it. Tobiah the Ammonite hears of it. Geshem, the chief in, in the Arab country, perhaps in Adumia, he hears of it. Now what do they do? Obviously, they're going to try to thwart the work. How do they do it? The same way that the enemies of God do it now. They mock you. They ridicule you. That's, that's commonplace. Believers are often mocked, often ridiculed. You guys believe in this fairy tale? You guys are not up to the times here. I remember, who was it? Um, it was Bill Maher. He said, these people, you know, basically I'm paraphrasing what he said. He said, these people really 
believe in this talking snake? As if a talking snake is going to be difficult to the God who breathed and, and said, let there be light, and it all came to pass. As if that's a difficult feat. But, what do they do? They pick certain things in order to ridicule, to mock, to make you feel like you're stupid. That's what they do. Anything to try to thwart what you're doing or to, to make you feel as if you are just so, so stupid and nothing, you're amounting to nothing, this isn't going to do anything in order to cause you to stop doing what you're doing. That's how they work. They mocked, they despised us, he says. And they say this to them, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Now, this could go one of two ways. Either this is a, this is, um, a situation in which they are trying to cause fear in them, to say, because they're government officials in that sense, you're trying to rebel against the king? Is that what you're doing? Because automatically what is it that then comes to mind is they're going to go tell the king that we're trying to, to rebel against him, and so they're going to manipulate what is actually happening for their own benefit in order to bring down even greater trouble upon the people of God. That's another thing that the unbelieving community does. Same thing. Or it could be that they are saying this again to mock them. Oh, you silly Jews. What are you doing? You rebelling against the king? You guys are nothing. Like you would have a, a chance to or have have any strength to rebel against the king. You guys are nothing. Now, this is this is to be expected. Whenever the work of God is going on, especially if you have a group of people that are zealous to do the work of the Lord and to honor the Lord. Expect these things. But don't let it cause you to despair that you stop doing what you know is right in the sight of God. This is what Nehemiah answers. He's bold. He's, he's trusting in the Lord. He says, the God of heaven will give us success. That's his answer. What do you see in that? You're seeing perseverance. We're trying to get kicked down by our enemies. But God has called us to do this. And we're going to keep moving forward in spite of you. Because the God of heaven will give us success. Why? Because He's greater than any enemy of this world. If you just stop to think and just take a few moments to just reflect upon the one whom you serve. It does, it produces in you that, that great trust and confidence. I'm standing before this enemy. This can potentially happen this way because they're manipulating my words or they're manipulating our situation to, to make it seem something bad or just to bring down more trouble upon us. But the God that I serve 
is greater than any one of them. Greater than the enemy that is, that is pushing them. That is promoting these, these feelings within them. These evil desires. The enemy who stands behind them. God is greater. As the scriptures tell us in the New Testament, which we should often you know, reflect upon, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. There is no enemy that can stand before God. There is no enemy that can thwart the hand of God. There are none. And in fact, when you read in Psalm 2, which is one of my favorite psalms as well, when, when the, the, the kings of the earth and the enemies of God say, come, let us tear our fetters from him. What does it say? The Lord laughs at them. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger. And what happens when the Lord is aroused in order to, to deliver judgment? Sudden terror fills the heart of the unbeliever. There are none that can stand before the Lord. And a lot of times when you endure these, these various things by the unbelieving, you can look at it and it's right to do so, obviously, because the passages that we read of throughout the Scripture, that this is a test for you. This is a trial for you to persevere, to grow in faith, to grow in trust, to grow in confidence in the Lord your God. Not to cower back, but to persevere, trusting in the God who speaks creation into existence. Many times it's for our growth. And what resolve that it produces in us. Standing before his enemies, they're, they're surrounded on all sides. He says to his enemies, the God of heaven will give us success Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and we will build. We're going to do it regardless. But you, you have no portion, you have no right, you have no memorial in Jerusalem. You have no place within the assembly. You have no right within the assembly. You have no portion in the assembly. There is a great trust a great confidence that Nehemiah has. This is what the Lord has put in me. These are the doors that the Lord has opened. This is what God is doing in the hearts of the other people. This is right. And we will move forward and do it. And so they are going to put their hand to do the good work regardless of any opposition that they will have. And then granted, they're going to have some. It's not going to be easy. And ministry is never easy. There are always uh, difficult parts of it. There's always going to be difficulties within ministry. A lot of times you're going to be put to the test. But a lot of times when you are put to the test, it's going to reveal your genuineness in whatever it is. It's going to reveal... Your, your, your passion for the glory of God, it's going to reveal whether or not you are truly seeking to love others and to be kind to others as God has called you to be when you're put in those situations, when those difficulties arise. 
How much do you trust the Lord? There are great, great lessons to learn there when, when those difficulties come. So here's some things to take from this, just to, to, to sum us all up what we've already been talking about. One, ministry is a group effort. takes like-minded people who are grounded in truth, who are genuinely seeking the glory of God in order to further along any ministry, whether it's a para-ministry of a church or whether it's the ministry of the church. It takes the collected body of Christ in order to do it. A lot of times we have to count the cost when whenever we enter into ministry and to be prepared to prepare ourselves to seek the Lord's face in whatever it is that we're getting ready to to undertake it may just be a one time thing it could be a, a lifelong calling whatever it is that the Lord does we need to be trusting and we need to be confident in what God has called us to do and we need to be seeking out the, the wisdom of others There's nothing wrong with that. To seek out wise counsel from others, especially those that know you well. This is the desires that I have. This is what I think the Lord's calling me to. And then you have people that are surrounding you who are zealous for the glory of God too, who perhaps have started to see that gift in you or that calling in you. Expect difficulties. That is very evident from our text. Expect difficulties. It's not going to be easy. There are going to be some great times. Absolutely. There are going to be some joyous times. There's going to be difficult times. There's going to be times of heartache. There's going to be times that, that you, you think to yourself that whatever the situation may be happening... You may feel like I'm getting ready to blow a gasket. It's going to be trying. It's going to be difficult. But throughout it all, the main thing that you have to always come back to and to focus upon is to recognize, and this should be easy to us, but we often forget, recognize your need for the Lord in what you're doing. Recognize that it has to be done in His strength, not yours. It has to be done in His power, through His power. Because you don't have it to do. You have no power in yourself to, to, to do whatever. It has to take the Lord to do it. And to understand that without the Lord's blessing upon it, you will accomplish nothing of spiritual value in the hearts of anyone. You can bring people to emotion. You can bring people to tears. You can, you can make people excited. That's what motivational speakers do. But unless the Lord's in it, you're accomplishing nothing for them. Benefit, you're not benefiting them. You're not benefiting the kingdom of God. You're always needing to, to seek the Lord's face and to reflect upon who He is. 
no doubt as Nehemiah gets there and he, he takes those couple of days to himself, he's examining the walls and everything that he's doing, even standing before his enemies, it is needful that you reflect upon the God whom you serve. And like I said, we forget easy, very easily. Recognize that he's the sovereign one, that he's the protector, that he is the enabler, that he is accomplishing his will, and we have the opportunity and the privilege to be used as instruments in his hand. All things that are done are done for his glory, through him. He is the great God who rules over all. And he can accomplish anything that he desires to accomplish. That's why he gets the credit for everything. Any of the desires that come within us are not because, wow, I had a good idea. Or any talents that are given to us isn't because, wow, I have a good bloodline. It's all, all the credit goes back to the Lord because it's all the Lord's doing. Every bit of it. He gets the credit for our desires. He gets the credit for the outcome of ministry. He gets the credit for all the labor. As the Apostle Paul says concerning himself, um, in comparison to the other apostles, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, I labored more than all of them, but it wasn't me, but the grace of God in me. And recognize this, understand this, rest in this very truth that God grants all that is needed in whatever it is that He is calling you to. When you seek the counsel of others, which you should do, he, if it's something that is indeed His calling upon you, then He'll put it into the heart of others to either help you, to assist you, to join in you, to support, to pray for you, to offer words of encouragement to you. To confirm in you. Yeah. I see this in you. Recognize he, he. He provides everything that's needed. To something that he is genuinely calling you to do. Or calling you to be. So many wonderful lessons I pray that we will indeed. Give our attention to throughout this book. It is an amazing book for sure, one that would be a great encouragement to us all. Let's pray together. Our Father, how we thank You. We thank You that indeed that all things that are done are not done because of ourselves. They're not done because of anything special within us. It's all done because of You. You work through us. You accomplish all that You desire. And again, and I pray that we would indeed just marvel at this truth. You can accomplish anything. You don't need us. And yet You choose to use mere creatures in order to further Your kingdom and to further the Gospel. You use us as instruments in Your hand. Father, what a privilege it is to be used by the living, sovereign God of all creation. What are we in comparison to you? We can accomplish nothing. All things are done in your power, through your power. 
how magnificent you truly are, how gracious you are to sinners as we. Father, I pray and I ask, Father, for all of us here, whatever it is that you have called us to do in order to strengthen the local church, to strengthen other believers, Father, help us to move forward in it, to persevere, to seek out counsel through other believers who are grounded in your truth and who love you. May we all grow in our knowledge of you, grow in our gifts that you've you've granted to us, grow in this ministry of this church, that you would be honored through this local body. Father, we praise your holy name this evening. We give you all the, the glory and honor for all that you do. Help us. Keep us close. And give us such a desire, Father, to, to do your will. To seek your honor. Thank you so much for salvation and this gift of knowing you and serving you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your attention and you are dismissed.